to be back with you this week. Missed you, but uh, I know you were in good hands. Pastor Brian brought great messages uh, to you. A couple of things before we get into our message this morning. We're starting a new series in the book of 2 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bible and want to follow along, 2 Thessalonians will be our summer series this year. A uh, couple of things. We only have three more Wednesdays uh, before we take the month of July off, and we want to finish strong. So I'd just like to encourage you to just keep coming out to our Wednesday night Bible study. We have the 15th of June, the 22nd of June, and then the 29th of June, and then we won't start back up until the first Wednesday of August. So uh, <clears throat> would love to see you. Speaking of Bible study, men, don't forget about the Saturday morning Bible studies. Woody told me they're getting ready to finish one aspect of your study and then you're moving on to a new study. So uh, I know many of you men are interested in that. If you are interested, please talk to Woody about that Saturday morning Bible study. And then one other good uh, piece of news to share with you that we found out last week. Sort of a big hurdle for us as we move forward on the, the land and the building and everything. And that is that our last design review... Uh, that we presented to the town of Gilbert was approved. They gave us the thumbs up. Yeah. So that's a big, that's a big deal. That means that we can now sort of keep going and we still got a lot of stuff to, to accomplish, but at least that's a big hurdle, uh, that the town of Gilbert basically gave us a thumbs up on all that we presented to them up to this point. So we are thankful for that. So no, no uh, op obstacles as far as that goes. Um, so we're happy about that. Just continue to pray. Uh, many of our people are engaged in this on a weekly basis now, trying to figure all this stuff out. And I'm really hoping that we can break ground sometime this fall uh, and finally get, get going on that. But we'll just have to see. It's definitely a longer process than I ever thought. Uh, but you know what? God is in the process, and we're thankful for it. All right, speaking of that, I want to talk to you this morning about one of my favorite subjects from the Bible, and that is the church. Um, and it's, it's something that Paul wanted to share with the Thessalonians. He, he wanted to talk to the church of the Thessalonians about the church. And I think there's a reason for that. In this letter, he's going to talk a lot about prophecy and a lot about the coming of the day of the Lord and, and the uh, Antichrist being revealed and, and what the climate is going to be like in the last days in which the church is here on the earth before we are raptured out of here. And, and he wants to sort of set the, the foundation that the church, do we really understand who we are? Do we really know what we are and what is our responsibilities and even what our privileges are? And I would like to submit to you that I believe with all my heart that many Christians today do not really understand the church. They, they do not understand what the Bible teaches about the church. And I'm talking now about the local church. Because many times when people talk about the church, all they think about is, well, every true believer that exists around the world, we're all part of the church. But do you realize that 95% of the time when the Bible talks about the church, it's always in relationship to the local church. A church just like the Oasis, just like the church in Thessalonica. It's mostly talking about local churches. 
And I believe that the reason why most Christians today do not have a proper understanding of the church is because if they did, they would be more engaged in their local church. They would understand what the local church is to be about, what our privileges are and what our responsibilities are. Remember, one of the key characteristics or or ways that the church is described in the Bible is we are called in the Bible the body of Christ. That's what we are called as the church. We are the body of Christ. Now think about that. If, if we're the body of Christ, then it just naturally follows and flows that how we treat the body goes a long way to how we respect and reverence Christ himself, who is the head of the church. And the Bible teaches us that unlike many Christians today who basically are not engaged in church, they basically say, I don't need church. I can, you know, worship God on my own and I can grow on my own. Whatever. It totally goes against the biblical teaching. Because Paul even said to the church in Corinth, he said, the eye, speaking of a member of the body of Christ, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And then he goes on to say, and the head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. In other words, if Christians get to a place in their life where they say, I don't need the church. I don't need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I can be a perfectly good, stable, growing Christian, but I don't need to be part of the church. That goes against biblical teaching. Just the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says that God created the church. He called the church into existence. The church is not man's idea. The church, the local church, is God's idea. He came up with the idea. He's the one that calls pastors and spiritual leaders to be over the church. And he calls Christians to be part of not just the general church, all true believers. He calls us to be part and engage in a local assembly. And so Paul wants to just make sure that the church in Thessalonica understands a little bit about God's design for the church. And he starts out by talking, first of all, about our privileges as the church. Notice what he says in the first two verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. First of all, he says, this is from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. So again... He's not addressing the church in general. He's addressing a specific local church. It would be like Paul and Silvanus and Timothy were writing a letter to the church of the Oasis. And here's what he says. This is to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Key word there in the first two verses is this little word with big meaning, and it's the word in. Notice he says, here's our privileges as the church of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, within. It denotes our position, our, our realm, our sphere of existence. So Paul is saying this, he says, I want you, if, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, if you have committed your life to Christ and you are here today, then the Bible wants you to know you are part of the church. 
You are part of the body of Christ. And you don't just exist in relationship to all Christians all over the world who have committed their life to Christ, but you and I are to exist within a local assembly, a, a body where we can engage, where we can serve, where we can grow, where we can be a part. And he wants us as the church at the Oasis, just like the church in Thessalonica, to know that we exist within God himself. And what that means to us and how we can apply that is that if we as the church exist within God, then that reminds us, first of all, that we are protected in this way. Nothing can get to the church without first passing through God the Father and God the Son. If we exist within God, then God is protecting His people and He protects the church, you see. And if He does allow things to affect the church... We're going to learn in a little bit. It's for a greater and higher purpose than many times we even can realize. But that God, just like with us as individuals, God always has the best interest of his people who gather together for worship. He always has our best interest at heart. So we are protected. And there is even a protection when we are willing to come and engage and be part of a church, a local church. There's a protection over us. In other words, unlike other Christians who say, I don't need the church, and they exist on their own out there in the world, they miss a protection that God will give to those who are willing to be part of the church. And then another thing we learn from this is provision. That we must sort of come to grips with the fact that if you and I as the church exist within God himself, That means everything that is God, every resource that is God, every every attribute that is God can somehow benefit us as the church. That's why we never, as the church, should ever feel like we are lacking or deficient in anything. Because if we exist within God, then all that God is, is available to us. His power is available to us. Uh, his, His joy is available to us. His peace is available to us. His wisdom is available to us. Anything that you and I need as the church to thrive, we have available to us because we literally live within and exist within God himself. That's why Paul told the Colossians, That when you and I are saved, that God the Father delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son He loves. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. And we exist now within God. That's why even as individual Christians, we should never look at ourselves as lacking or deficient. Because if you exist within God, if I exist within God, then everything that God has as a resource is available to me. That's why Paul could say, I can do all things, not through myself, but through Christ who strengthens me. God's strength and power is available to us at all times. God's wisdom is available to us at all times. God's patience is available to us at all times. God's peace is available to us at all times. Because we literally exist within God. And again, we can take heart 
And we can be confident that if God allows anything to get through himself to us, it is only for our own good. It is only to make us greater and stronger and better because we have been placed within God and therefore God protects and God provides for his own. This is true not only for us as individuals, this is true for us as a church. That's why I tell people, the church doesn't have to look outside of itself for anything that you and I need to truly accomplish God's will for us at the Oasis. If, if God wants us to accomplish something, and as yet, there's not a group of people within this church or an individual within this church that can, can do that, then God will make sure that they get to this place in order for us to have what we need. Up to this point, I think you and I have seen even in the six years of the existence of this church, anytime we needed something, we didn't have to look much outside. We could look right within and find that through the individual people that came to the Oasis, we had what we needed right here. We were rich and wealthy just looking around at those who are part of this church. Because again, that's why God calls us as believers to be part of and engaged in a church. Because God is going to use each of us, our talents, our gifts, our abilities to bless the body, to grow the body, to be there, to enhance the body. That's what we're supposed to be. And we have great privileges. Being in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But, like most today, many people want to concentrate on the privileges of something without the corresponding responsibilities. And God says, as the church that I created, that I birthed into existence, and even Jesus said, I will build my church. And in the Greek language, the word my is the most emphatic word in that verse. Jesus is reminding all of us, you're mine. I died for you. I created you. I called you into existence. You're not the church because it was your idea. You're my church. And because of that, he goes on to say, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Because I am building you. And literally in the Greek, it means I will build you up. I will strengthen you. I will make you strong. So that anything that flows out of the gates of hell, any forces of the domain of darkness and death that come against the church, I will make sure because I'm the head of the church, I created the church, I caused the church to be in existence, and I will build my church that the forces of evil and wickedness and all of that will never ultimately prevail against my church. That's the privilege. But because of that, because we are able to carry the name of Christ and be associated with Jesus Christ, that also means we carry great responsibility. And that's what Paul begins to talk to the church about in verse 3. Notice he says, based upon our privileges, that we are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are protected by God, we are provided by God, we have the responsibility to spiritually grow, to make progress in our spiritual life. Notice Paul said in verse 3, We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, there in Thessalonica, and rightly so, because, notice, your faith flourishes more and more, 
Those words speak about growing and increasing continually. And he says, and the love of each one of you all for one another is ever greater. Key words. It means to increase or grow continually. Paul's saying, in the church at Thessalonica, your faith is continually growing. Your reliance and response to God is continually growing and increasing. And your love for each other is continually growing and increasing. You're always making progress. And that's our responsibility. God did not call the church into existence, did not die for the church, did not create the church for the church to be a lifeless, stagnant body of believers. God created the church so that the church could be a place where there's vitality, there's energy, there's life, there's something always pulsating because every one of us, including us coming together, we are always making progress spiritually. We are always getting closer to Christ, not further away. There's always things in our life to where we are increasing and being stretched and growing and all of that. That's part of our responsibility. And that's one of the reasons why God calls us to be part of the body. Because it's in this body that we will truly grow. You see, again, Christians who say, I don't need the church to grow. It's not biblical. God says, the whole reason I call pastors and spiritual leaders and call my people to come together is because hopefully you, as part of the Oasis body, hopefully you're benefiting and profiting from the gifts and abilities and talents that God gave me. And hopefully I'm benefiting from the talents and abilities and gifts that God gave you so that we all mutually grow and progress together through investing in one another and investing in ministry and serving one another and growing in our faith together and growing in our love for each other. That's our responsibility. If we're not growing, and again, it has nothing to do with numerical growth because you will notice throughout the New Testament that Jesus never addresses a local church and cares what the numbers are. That is irrelevant to God. That has nothing to do with, from God's perspective, whether a church is fulfilling his will or not. In fact, in the messages to the seven churches in Revelation that Jesus gives, he says nothing about how big or small the church is. It's all about the spiritual character of the people within the church. And one of the things that God looks for is, is this body growing? When they're coming together, are they good for each other? And they're, you know, sort of motivating and inspiring one another to grow? Or are they just sort of stagnating? That's our responsibility. Which leads to the next one. And I've really already mentioned it. I think we have a responsibility as a church to be an example to other local churches. To be an inspiration and motivation to other bodies of believers. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 4. As a result of your growth, we ourselves boast about you, notice, in the churches of God. In other words, Paul says, when we go around to other churches and people think that, that, you know, Paul was all about establishing churches and getting them growing, getting the proper leadership in there. That was Paul's heartbeat. And many of the New Testament letters are letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he established or helped establish. And Paul is saying, when I would go around and visit these other churches, he said, basically, I would brag about you. 
I would boast about you. I would tell them what you're like, hopefully thinking that if they hear what this other local church is doing, what they're about, that it would be a, a good example, an inspiration and a motivation to them to maybe get on board and start doing some of the same things that you and Thessalonica are doing. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of a reputation as a local church that, that, that we were such a body or other churches were such a body that they were so on fire for God and they were growing and, and God was moving in their midst in such a way that when people would go to other churches, instead of talking negatively about a local church, which many Christians do today, it would be nothing but positive. Like, man, did you hear about what's going on over there? Those people are, man, they're committed to the cause. They love the Lord with all their heart. Man, they're putting their all on the line. That's our responsibility. I think we are to exist in such a way that other local churches should be inspired and motivated by our fellowship, just as we should be inspired and motivated by them. And that's what Paul says here. But there's another responsibility that we have as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 4, As a result, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions you are enduring. It is our responsibility as the people of God to persevere and endure. Because we will be persecuted. We will be afflicted. The Bible teaches us that as the people of God. Remember, it was God's design that he call out his people, place them in the world in a hostile environment because Jesus said, you're never to be like the world, but you are to be in the world. So the church has always existed in a hostile environment. And yet Jesus says, I want you as my people in all of these local churches to be a light to be a lighthouse, that if there are any in that community that, that, is, that is looking for God or that is, that is looking to grow in God, that they can find me in you. And so Jesus says, but make sure you understand this as well as the church, that, that Satan and all the demons of hell and even people of the world who are very antagonistic and opposed to God will do everything they can to tear you down and to break you down. The church exists within this environment, but we've got to be strong because we are going to be assailed and we have been throughout history and we certainly will be in the days and age in which we live. I don't think a lot of times we appreciate the fact that the invisible spiritual forces of evil, especially that we acknowledge as Christians, exist. That we don't think enough or consider enough that they would like nothing better than for a church like the Oasis to cease to exist. And that they, as the evil spiritual forces of this world, would like nothing better than to tear this ministry down and destroy it and just level it so that we don't exist anymore. And from the day that this church was started, I can tell you, we have been under attack. 
Many times it's behind the scenes. Many times if you just come and, you know, you're not really even in, you might not even realize what has happened. But from the day this church was established, we have been and we will continue to be under attack. Because the spiritual forces of evil do not want to see a church like the Oasis exist. And people in the world do not want to see a church like this exist. And so Paul says, it is our responsibility to make sure that we are willing as the body of of people of God to make sure that we persevere in spite of the persecution, that we endure no matter what afflictions come our way. Are we going to be constant, steadfast, holding up, bearing up amidst the pressures that come against us? That's our responsibility. And we can do it because we're in God. And therefore, we have all the perseverance and endurance we need. Because as we learned Wednesday night, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And even if all the forces of hell at one time came against even the Oasis Church, we have the Almighty God on our side. And so he says, just like the church at Thessalonica, oh, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be pressured. You're going to be, you're going to be attacked. But you've got to endure. You've got to persevere. By the way, the word enduring here also means to sustain something. And I got to thinking about that. That's important. That's an important aspect of even us as a church and something that we need to think about in our spiritual life. Because sustainability builds credibility. Let me repeat that because that's important. Sustainability builds credibility. You and I want to be credible with others. Then you and I can't be part of something that just sort of rises up real quick, exists, and then doesn't exist. When you and I are either in our own individual lives or we are part of something that exists over the long haul, that we're there in the good times and bad, that we can take the hits and keep on going, there's something then that begins to build credibility about that. That that people then, after such a long time, begin to take notice where maybe they wouldn't take notice in just a short amount of time. Now all of a sudden something exists for a long time and it's been hit and attacked and all of this and it's still standing. Then some may go, you know what, maybe there's something to this. (laughs) Maybe there's something more than just meets the eye. That's why it's important for us as Christians to persevere and endure with trials and tribulations and all that. Because Jesus promised us, in the world you will have tribulation. John 16, 33. But be of good courage, I have overcome the world. If you and I don't persevere and endure, if we don't have any sustainability in our individual spiritual life or in our life as a church, then we will not be credible with the world. The credibility will only come in time as they see that, you know what? Those people are still hanging in there. They're still bearing up after all that they've been through. There must be something to this faith in Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. But to me, the only way that you and I are really going to sustain ourselves 
is again by being part of the church that Jesus Christ created and called into existence. Because if you'll notice, the Christians out there that say, I can do life on my own, I don't need to be part of the church, check out where they are spiritually. Where their spiritual health and fitness are out there trying to do it on their own rather than being a part of God's design. I think you'll find they're struggling. They're struggling. They're being overwhelmed and overcome. Because even Christians who exist within a church, sometimes even we can struggle. Because sometimes even if we come to a church or we say we're part of a church, we don't really let others into our lives like we should as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we still sort of, we we try to sort of live in two worlds that really God says shouldn't exist. We try to be part of the body without really being engaged in the body. And so we say, I'm I'm part of the church, but I'm still going to sort of do life on my own. I'm not going to let any of my brothers and sisters in Christ in. So when I do struggle or I do have a problem with it, nobody prays for me. Nobody really knows what I'm going through. Nobody's there to put their arm around me. Nobody's there to encourage me. I'm still out there trying to do it on my own. And you and I will find trying to do life on our own, we won't be able to persevere and endure very long. Because that's not the way God designed it. God said, I never, I never meant for you to try to endure and persevere on your own. I meant for you to endure and persevere in the midst of a bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ where you hold each other up. That's how I designed it. A couple more. Verse 5. Another responsibility we have is literally to be proof, to be an undeniable demonstration that God knows what he's doing. That's what Paul says in verse 5. This, well, this refers to what? It refers to the church itself, to what the church should be, to its privileges and responsibilities that we talked about, and the fact that God allows the church to go through persecution and affliction and suffering. Notice Paul says, this is evidence of God's righteous judgment. Now, many times when you and I, even as Christians, see the word judgment in the Bible, we're always thinking something negative. Like, oh my goodness, the judgment of God. It doesn't have to be negative. For instance, let me take you back to the beginning chapters of the Bible. When God was creating the world, He was pronouncing judgment on the things that He created. He would create something, and then the book of Genesis records, and He would say, it's good. That's God's judgment. God's saying, I declare that what I have just created, that's good. That's the judgment of God. That's His opinion about it. So when Paul says, this is evidence of God's righteous judgment, Paul's saying in the context here, this whole thing called the church and how it's supposed to operate and the fact that God allows his people to exist in the midst of a hostile environment and be persecuted and afflicted and go through suffering. This means God is doing what is right. And that he really knows what he's doing? Yeah. And you and I as the people of God, especially in our local churches, should should be existing in such a way that we show other people, God really does know what he's doing. That he really did know what he was doing by creating the church. He has a good idea here. And that he's allowing the church to suffer. And to go through trials and persecution and affliction. He really does know what he's doing. Because you and I 
when we go through that, if we follow what God says, that the suffering and the persecution and the affliction and all that only can make us stronger. Only can bring us as a body even closer to one another when we do it God's way. And so instead of all that God allows drives us apart from one another and and causes weakness, it actually does just the opposite. It's why a famous author once said that the blood of the martyrs of the church are really the seed of the church. That though Satan attacked the church and many people, including even many people today, many Christians. I just read about one in Afghanistan. A young man who came to faith in Jesus Christ and basically his, his imam, his teacher told him, if you do not renounce Christ, you will die. He gave up his life for Jesus Christ. And we, we hear things like that throughout. We go, God, why would you allow something like that? Because God knows that every time the church takes a hit and the church responds the way it's supposed to, every time a Christian takes a hit and responds the way we're supposed to, it doesn't diminish the kingdom. It only makes it stronger. It only draws Christians together. It only only builds a, a greater resolve to continue to do what God has called us to do. And that's why the church is supposed to exist as evidence, as proof that God really does know what he's doing. Which leads to the last, verse 5. This is evidence of God's righteous judgment to make you and I worthy of the kingdom of God for which, in fact, you are suffering. The last responsibility here that we're going to look at this morning is this. We have a responsibility to get our priorities straight. That's what it means to make us worthy of the kingdom of God. See, none of us are worthy to be Christians. We are saved by grace through faith. We don't earn our salvation. But once we come into the body of Christ, once we become part of the church, here's what God does with true Christians. He then spends our earthly lives making us worthy of being part of the kingdom. And that simply means that we get to a place where as we grow, as we're part of the body, as we become engaged in the church and all of these things, that we begin to give weight to what is of greatest value. And what is of greatest value is the kingdom of God. What is of greatest value is anything associated with King Jesus. Which is why Jesus even told his followers... Seek first, what? The kingdom of God. That's it. That should be the priority. Not, not, you know, my comfort. Not, you know, what's best for me. Not looking out. No. The number one priority of disciples of Jesus Christ should be the kingdom of God. And therefore, my priorities should show that. That above everything else in my life, whatever is advancing the kingdom of God, whatever is is building the kingdom of God into my life, whatever, that should be the number one priorities of my life. That's why in the book of Acts, 
after they arrested the apostles and they threw them before the council and they treated them very harshly and abused them, the Bible says they left the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Wow. They had their priorities right. They were like, they want to take my life. They want to abuse me. They want to persecute me. I don't care. If it advances the kingdom of God, if it gets the gospel out there, if people are impacted by my life and my commitment to Christ, that's what's most important. And that's what Paul says is our responsibility as the people of God, as the church of God, to get our priorities right, to begin to live for what really matters, to give weight for what is what is of greatest worth and value in this life. That's what God wants to do with us as his people. So yes, we have great privileges. But let's never forget that as the church, as the body of Christ, we have great responsibility. And I believe that one day, when we stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for our earthly life as Christians and evaluated and even given roles and responsibilities based upon our earthly life throughout all eternity, that one of the things Jesus Christ is going to examine is how did you treat my body? How did you treat the church? How important was my body to you, the church? Did you give it the value and the worth and the priority that it should be in your life? Or was it not that important? Was it demeaned? Because I think to God, the body of Christ is very important. The church is very important to God. He created it. He caused it to come into being. He died for the church. And he wants his people to gather together in local assemblies, just like here at the Oasis, so that we can grow, so that we can be an example to other churches, so that we can endure and persevere in spite of all that comes against us, so that we can be evidence in this world that God really knows what he's doing. And so that we can get our priorities straight and be made worthy of being part of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the body of Jesus Christ that we are members of. It is a privilege to be a member of the body of Christ. To be a part of the body of Christ. But Lord, we need to treat the body of Christ respectfully. We need to give it honor. We need to give it priority and value and worth in our lives. And I pray that you would call us out as your people to be the church that you designed us to be. That we would recognize along with our great privileges that we have great responsibility placed in our laps. 
as the church of Jesus Christ. Help us here, God, at the Oasis to apply this to us. Because, Lord, we, when we talk about the church, we can get pretty general. And it can become pretty meaningless in our lives. But when it's boiled right down to our local church, that's where it can really be applicable. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us, including myself, the pastor of this church, would sort of recommit ourselves to the role and responsibility that you've called us to do and to be in this body. That we would recognize the great privilege we have of being in this body, but also the great responsibility as well. Because I believe in these last days before you come, Lord, for your people, that you want churches like the Oasis to exist is that light lighthouse. That, that one place in the community where if people are looking for God or to grow in God, they can find you through us. So God, help us to be who you call us out to be. Help us to look to you, God, for all that we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing this song together. God, I look to you. Let's not be overwhelmed. Let's realize that in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have everything we need. Let's just look to him today.